Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the last time I preached, uh, we were coming off what is one of my favorite weeks of the year. And I shared that all with you, that VBS week. You know, one of my favorite weeks of the year. I love it. But if VBS week is one of my favorite weeks of the year, then the youth gathering that takes place every three years is one of my favorite events ever, like in my entire life. Uh, I have gone to uh, five straight youth gatherings now, and St. Andrew has been sending kids to youth gatherings for for decade upon decade. And so uh, my guess is at the very least you've heard about these things, but you may not exactly know what goes on at them. And so the pictures that you just saw kind of give you a glimpse, but I thought it would be helpful for me to... uh, give you an an elevator pitch about uh, what the youth gathering is. Uh, So basically every three years, around uh, 20,000 or more youth and high school youth and their leaders uh, gather from all around the world to a city in the United States. And essentially uh, all week or for five days, they spend time celebrating and dancing and singing and uh, playing games and growing in their relationship, both in their youth groups and meeting other youth groups. And of course, all of these things, all these activities are all about Jesus. And so uh, usually roughly around three years before the next one. So uh, sometime in the next week, a group of men and women, teachers, pastors, and leaders from the church will gather together again and pick uh, different scriptures from scriptures, passages from scripture, and a theme that kind of goes along with them. And and they'll spend time kind of creating this entire package of what those five days are going to look like. And so once that's kind of picked, then uh, the whole five days are spent talking about certain passages or certain verses and the theme that is tied to them. And so uh, the pictures that you saw before of the baseball stadium are events called mass events. And at the mass events, we do a lot of singing and dancing and spend some time in devotion about the theme. And when you saw the kids kind of sitting in rows, they were at different Bible studies. And Every morning we went to a Bible study uh, to dive deeper into the scripture message and the theme and uh, kind of dive into what God's word and how those two things are connected. But you also saw some other photos of games and uh, other activities. And let's just say some of our kids played a little more games than maybe they should have, but a lot of fun was had. It was a good time. And uh, another thing that you saw was a bunch of the kids sitting around different tables and from what I was told, it was a really cool uh, service project because they do on-site service there as well. And our kids this year, uh, they made resources for the blind. Uh, so there's a, a group called the Lutheran Braille Network. And so essentially the kids sat together at different tables and they made different books uh, for blind people. So they pressed the Braille down and were together making all these books. And then these books get sent out to, to people all around the world. So the youth were involved in this really cool and special project. And then, of course, at the end of every day, after dinner happens, we have this incredible mass event. We celebrate. We do a little debrief. And then everyone should go to bed. That's kind of the, the whole five days wrapped up into one. And just so we're clear, I told you that was my elevator pitch, but when I said elevator, I was talking about the elevators at the Empire State Building, okay? So, long elevators. I think I did a pretty good job. But part of the reason I wanted to tell you about the youth gathering, of course, is because it's pretty fresh in my mind since we just got back Wednesday night. But more importantly, I wanted to bring it up because the the theme this year seems to fit uh, kind of how we're talking about this passage from Scripture. Uh, in all things. That was, that was the theme. And so when Pastor Mark asked me to, to preach on this Sunday, I went ahead and I looked at the readings, and it was so clear that, that God was at work. Uh, because we have appointed readings each week, and, and the New Testament lesson, the appointed reading for this week, was Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to, to 28. 
And the theme verses for the gathering this year were Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. And so it just felt so fitting that in something as simple as uh, what passage to preach on, God was so clearly present, that uh, Jesus is so clearly in all things. And that was the theme of this year's gathering and, and seeing Jesus in all things and where he is in our lives. And what an incredible promise that is for us. And one of the things that we talked about then uh, was the reality of God's greater story. Uh, that all of scripture testifies to, to Jesus and his story. And that me and you, each one of us, are written into that same story. That our story, your story and my story, is a part of God's greater story. And all of that holds together in Jesus. And so uh, the, the one thing that we know about any good story is that it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so if we're going to talk about the story of everything, God's greater story, we have to do so the way Scripture does, which of course is at the beginning. Right? So uh, this is how St. Paul starts uh, the story of everything in Colossians. He takes us all the way back. He says in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. So Paul dials it all the way back to the beginning, uh, to the moment in which God speaks all of creation into existence. And it's that uh, incredible moment that sometimes I think we kind of gloss over, but the fact that God spoke things and, and life happened. That, that in the Genesis account, when God speaks, things are created. Everything just, just comes to be by the word of God. And if there's one thing that my adult leaders and I know after five days with the youth, when we speak, things don't exactly happen. And if they do happen, they don't always happen the way that we want them to, right? And my guess is that maybe you haven't had this experience with high schoolers, or maybe you have. But uh, nonetheless, when you speak, things don't always happen. And they certainly don't happen the way that you want. Uh, maybe it was at work or, or at home. Maybe you were, you were assigned over a project, and so you told someone what they needed to do. And you had a very clear explanation. You gave very clear instructions about what needed to happen and how it needed to happen. And in your mind, you had a pretty straightforward design. And you were the creator of all these things. And then, nothing went according to your plan. Uh, nothing happened the way that, that you wanted it to. Nothing fit your design. And sometimes that can be a good thing. But I think one of the things it does is it highlights this reality of just uh, the broken world in which we live. It makes it pretty clear that that's not how it is for us. We don't speak and things just happen the way that we want. But I think that's part of the reason why Paul takes us all the way back to the beginning. Because when God speaks, everything happens exactly how he planned. Everything was, was so perfect when God spoke creation into existence. And we're kind of careful about using that word perfect because only Jesus is perfect. But in Genesis 1, before sin had come into the world, everything was perfect. Everything that God created fit together so perfectly. And in the midst of that creation, as God spoke, Jesus was there. As it says uh, that all things were created through him and for him. Right? And so, uh, while we're at the beginning of the story, we've got to go to the beginning of another part of Scripture to see the correlation here. 
that if we could take ourselves to John chapter 1, we see that John is testifying to Jesus' presence when God creates. At the beginning of his gospel, John chapter 1 verse 1, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. And so as John continues on in the beginning of his gospel, he later identifies Jesus as the word that becomes flesh. Jesus is is the living word of God. So when God speaks, Jesus is there. Jesus is in, in the midst of all creation. That as God is creating Jesus, it is right there. And so what that means for us is that when we look at the world around us, we can see Jesus. And I want to be clear here that uh, Jesus is not the cause of everything in the midst of the broken world, right? Uh, Jesus is not the cause of sin, but he is still working in the midst of sin. He works to redeem and restore what is broken by sin. And so uh, when we look at the world around us, in everything, in some way, shape, or form, Jesus is there. Now, uh, I realize that that's kind of really hard for us to see, and I think one of the reasons is because uh, we want to see it instantly. Uh, We want to look at something or someone and know, okay, that's where I see Jesus. It's very clear. I get it. But it's not always like that for us. Uh, Take, for example, a project like the James Webb Telescope. Uh, If you haven't seen or heard about this, uh, this James Webb Telescope is a NASA project that has been going on for nearly 26 years. And just this past Christmas, it was first launched up into space, and just this past Wednesday, photos were finally shown of what the telescope saw. Uh, This was shared with me by a member of our staff. Thank you, Barb. And I want to share it with you in case you haven't seen it. When looking at this photo, even with a limited knowledge of astronomy, it is such an incredible photo of something that the world has never seen before. Before Wednesday, we'd never seen space looking like this, at least this particular portion of space. And and just for the sake of of highlighting this, this photo was taken some 13.6 billion light years away. And so when I look at this photo, one of the things that stands out to me is the intricacy of creation. Uh, That normally when we talk about space, it's kind of like this vast nothingness. And yet when we look at this photo, we see that that everything is there from the way that God first spoke it into existence. That, That is how God created all these things. So imagine that if at some point over the last 26 years, and I get that this probably happened on more than one occasion, but imagine if the people on this project were like, yeah, we need to stop. This has gone on for too long. Uh, I read somewhere that it was supposed to launch in like 2007 or 2008, right? So if you think about it, I'm sure many people said, we don't need to do this. This project isn't worth it. We're spending too much time, too much money, and we're not getting anywhere closer. And yet now, not only do we have this incredible uh, and wonderful project, but we have a glimpse of space that we've never seen before. Uh, We see uh, the beauty of creation. We see Jesus in a place that we may have never seen without this wonderful thing, without this time-staking, this patient process. And and it kind of reminds us that when God spoke all things into existence, that, that Jesus was there, that 
in Jesus, all things hold together. And so, uh, while of course we have this beautiful beginning of the story, the reality for me and you is that right now, we're in the middle of our story. And uh, the middle can kind of be an interesting place. When I say middle, I use that a little loosely, because some of us are kind of closer to the end of our middle, and others of us are kind of maybe right in the middle of our story, and then, of course, there are those of us on the front end of our middle. But, but nonetheless, we're all kind of somewhere in the middle of our story. And uh, the middle of the story is always interesting, to say the least. Right? When you're diagramming a story, you, you have uh, the introduction and then the rising action and the climax and the falling action. But when we think about it in the context of our lives, that is just spread out over the entirety of our lifetime. And so uh, the middle is where things get a little crazy. Right? The middle is where we have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And in the biblical story, uh, the middle was full of kind of this repetitive cycle all throughout Scripture. It went something along the lines of this. Uh, you had the, the people of God who were living in a, in a broken and sinful world, and they would follow God's will until they didn't. And then after the, they, they were being oppressed because they broke God's will, eventually they would repent and ask for forgiveness. God would forgive them. They would celebrate and rejoice. They would follow God's will, and then they would do it all over again. Right? So I think in some ways this is kind of where we are at in, in our stories as well. Right? There are times where we follow God, and when we fall away from God, or we turn away from Him, then we're called to repentance, we turn back, we're forgiven, we celebrate, we rejoice, and we do it all over again. Right? So there's this unique cycle that we find ourselves in the middle of the story, and yet it's here, in the middle of it all, where God sends His Son to take on flesh, where the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And when God sends Jesus into the world, uh, Jesus experiences all the realities of sin. Uh, Jesus uh, can see the separation between uh, brothers and sisters and families. Uh, Jesus can see uh, the brokenness in structures and in social uh, ideologies and in families and institutions. Jesus experiences the, the deepest, perhaps darkest part of sin, the consequence of sin, which is death. Right? And, and when you think about the way that Jesus experienced this, he, he experienced it uh, in one hand via betrayal of someone who claimed to follow him and love him. And he also experienced it through denial, as, as one who said they would give up their life for him, denied him as he was headed towards the cross. Right? And so uh, Jesus experiences the weight of betrayal and denial of, of things that you and I certainly experience, and we know the pain, and so does Jesus. And so as he experiences all these things, and he dies on the cross, there were some who thought that the story was over. There were some who, who thought that, that that was it, and that Jesus dies on the cross, and therefore uh, there is no more. But we know that's not how the story ends. We know that Jesus does not just die, but three days later he rises from the grave. Right? That, that Jesus goes into the depths of hell and he defeats death and the devil and the grave. And he rises again to new life. And this reminds us that even in death, Jesus reigns. That in all things, Jesus reigns in life and in death. Over all things, over all things in your life and in my life, Jesus reigns. And so even in the middle of the story, Jesus holds it all together. 
And so what that means for, for you and me right now is, is wherever you are in your story, Jesus is holding you together. That you may not always feel it or you may not always see it, but, but that is what Jesus is doing. That uh, whether you're battling anxiety or addiction or depression, where, whether you're, you're struggling with the illness of a loved one or you yourself are ill, whether you're trying to repair a broken relationship in your life with someone else in your life who you love and care for, that Jesus is holding that together. Jesus is holding you together. Because in him, all things hold together. And what that means is that whatever you have going on, Jesus is right there for you. That there is nothing too great for Jesus. That because he reigns over it all, because he has been there since the beginning, and he holds us up through the middle and is there until the end, nothing can stop him from being in the midst of your life. Even the things that you don't want him to be a part of, he steps into those to redeem and restore what was broken by sin. This is what he does in our relationship with God. This is what he does for me and for you. And so this, this gives us hope. Hope that we can see and experience all of life in a different way, all through the eyes of, of what it looks like for Jesus to be in all things. But don't just take it from me. I want you to hear it from some of our young people uh, who got to see and experience and want to reflect on what it means that Jesus is in all things. In all things means to look at good in every situation. That means to look at God, to look at what he has done for you and for other people. Look around the room. There are probably a lot of people that are hurt mentally or physically, but they're still here because they know what God has done for them. They know that God is working in their life. Sometimes we need to look at a problem in our life, not as a problem, but as a possibility for God to show us how much he loves us at work, in your family, in your friends. God is in all things. To me, in all things means that God is present in his creation. He puts us in situations where he can show us who he really is, and that's why he's God. But what does it mean to involve Jesus in all things? I would say for me, it's to keep God at the center of everything. I know. I like knowing that Jesus is in all things because it reminds me that little moments in our lives are not necessarily coincidences, but are meant to be. And that helps me appreciate everything that happens to me, whether in the moment or later on. Um, and I also like knowing that Jesus is always around me and is always in the people and places where I am, because that means that I can talk to him anywhere and see him in a lot of different things that I might not otherwise think about. So I've been to uh, five youth gatherings in a row now, as I mentioned, and at each one, something life-changing has happened for me. Uh, my first one in 2010 uh, was when uh, the Spirit moved and worked, and, and I decided that I wanted to pursue becoming a pastor. And at my second one in 2013, uh, I made the decision to leave home and, and college in New York and transfer to uh, college in Wisconsin. And in my third and fourth ones, I was headed into pretty big years in my life in relationship to ministry. In fact, uh, at the end of the fourth one in 2019, two days later, my wife Lauren and I packed up the U-Haul to move out here and to start ministry in this place. And at the end of this fifth one, I'm reminded of the incredible blessing 
and the excitement that I have from being a pastor because Jesus is in all things. And, and what that means for me and for you is that he's with me in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Uh, that, that he is with me in my greatest successes and my embarrassing failures. Uh, what that means is that no matter what the, the crazy and brokenness of my middle of my story looks like, I know how my story ends. My story ends in the arms of Jesus around the throne of glory and celebrating and giving thanks that he is in all things. And that's how your story ends too. That no matter what's going on in the middle of your story, no matter where you are, Jesus is there. In the good things, in the bad things, in the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, Jesus holds all things together. Even for you, even for me, right now and until the final day of your story, Jesus is in all things. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.